Welcome, everybody, to the Real Thrills Podcast. Hello, everybody. I am Jay, along with Eric, as always. Eric, how was your day today? Today was uh, fun and exciting and full of lots of barbecue. Yes, yes. Uh, you uh, had a barbecue at the house. My my wife and kids came over, and we had a we had a nice barbecue with uh, your fiance's parents, right? And yep, brothers and. The nice, whole gang was here. Nice family friend event that we had here. It was it was great, and uh, the kids came down here, played on your drums, guitar, and played with chainsaws. Yeah. Uh, how old are How old are your kids now? Uh, four and two. So just picture. I, I'd seen the listeners to picture uh, four and a two year old both battling it out on, with toy chainsaws because that's what they were doing for a while. It was it was an epic sight to see. I think there's some video footage of it somewhere on somebody's phone. I'm sure. So if if my kid turns into a serial killer, I'm coming back to you and <laughs> we're going to have problems. I <laughs> but, started it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, these are just toys, kids. Uh, don't And uh, Camille, my, my daughter, had no, had no problem uh, going after people with it. <laughs> yes, she was chopping people up pretty hardcore. <laughs> Uh, couldn't expect anything less if you, uh, look around our studio in, in, in your basement here. Uh, you got all fun, fun toys and gizmos and gadgets from all of movies. Freddy's glove, chainsaws, machetes, Jason, Matt, you, you got it all, man. You're, you're like a horror movie collector dream down here and kids love it. Yes. Uh, it's sort of like the stuff that I always wanted, um, as a kid, you know, I think I always thought it was cool. Like I loved dressing up for Halloween. I loved watching horror movies as a kid. So for me, now that I'm an adult and um, have some form of disposable income, I'm like, hey, I'm going to get lots of uh, props and costumes and have them here and have a lot of fun when I have horror gatherings. Yeah, man, I- I'm looking at the chainsaw. You actually have it right here on our coffee table that we're looking at. And uh, go ahead. Can you rev Give it a quick up? rev up. Yeah, that thing's great. I mean, it's just a, a fun prop to have. And yeah, I could see being a kid, even an adult, and wanting to have that around uh, as a uh, paperweight for uh, our show's notes. So can you get that thing off of your notes? Thank you, so that we can start the uh, show. <laughs> well, uh, Jay, I'll just say that we are actually both uh, writing our notes on our oh, yeah. uh, 1989 original Nightmare on Elm Street uh, notebooks that uh, I got on Etsy. So and, and signed by Freddy Krueger himself, Sweet Dreams. It's, <laughs> it's pretty awesome. So very, very happy to have this little notepad for our show notes going forward. Yep, we are legit people. We are we are getting there. We, we made got it to the big time. Chainsaw props, Halloween candy, right at our uh, at our fingertips every show, and we now have a Freddy Krueger notebook to write our notes down. So, uh, without further ado, let's let's get <laughs> right into this show. We did 1987 Hellraiser by Clive Barker. We sure did. And, and yeah, I, <laughs> I, I pretty much, I don't know what my text was to you right away. Like, what? What the fuck? D- yeah, what the <laughs> fuck? WTF. I was, I was just kind of like taking a, taking a back. But, you know, to be honest with you, never saw it. This was my first viewing of it. And I was super intrigued by your description to me originally when you pitched the show idea uh, to, to do it. I was like, oh, that sounds way out there. 
And it was. And it was to a whole nother dimension that I don't think I ever want to go to. And we'll get into the into that as the show unfolds. But it's uh, it's a memorable one. I think there's a lot of horror movies that like I've probably seen, you know, in the last ten or twenty years that if you told me I could say, yeah, I saw it, but I don't really remember the concept or what happened or I'll never forget this. Yeah, th- this is a pretty memorable one. So <laughs> if it's the, you know, it, again, Pinhead to me is a pretty iconic um, yeah. horror villain. He was um, always up there as the Pantheon. He was, he's, he's, I don't know, top five, top four. Like he's up super there. Super recognizable, right? right? Yes. And was a, was a talker. So in a very, whoa, 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 you know, like yeah. very, um, uh, scary effects they put on his voice to make him sound really intimidating. But um, if you actually see the actor Doug Bradley, who really kind of nailed this character, not a very intimidating man, right? No, no. he kind of looks like you know you're like high school like football coach that does like special teams or something. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, that guy. He does look like that guy. I know who you're talking about. Yep, you see him at like you know the acupuncture local acupuncture shop or something, and you're like, ah, oh, it's a pinhead. Oh man, <laughs> yeah. Now I don't think I'll ever do acupuncture again after watching this movie. I think I'm only going to do acupuncture now. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yes, 1987, Clive Barker. We already did one of his other films. We did Candyman, Candyman which was written and directed. Don't, don't say it more than that. Okay, one time is good. Yeah. So yeah. written and directed, he you know Clive Barker uh, had a. Uh, what was it? A novella called uh, Hellbound. Hellbound Heart. Hellbound yes. Heart. Yeah, right. the Hellbound Heart, which and sounds a little like trashy romance novel. Like yeah. at, <laughs> while you're waiting. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Well, I guess this was in, kind of a- in, in your mind, maybe, or in some people's minds, but in my mind, it's completely a, something I don't know anything about. It's a whole other world. Like today. I can picture like. A horse being on the cover. That's what I'm getting. I'm getting it. <laughs> and Fabio writing it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah. So they, they didn't think that was a good title for this, so they called it Hellraiser, and, and it did fit. But there's it. a bit of that element in the movie, right? There's this like lustful romance between oh. um, Julia and Frank, and she's with her, you know, kind of like nerd alert husband who's not really satisfying her needs, and Frank, who's like experienced everything in the world, like you know. Um, bang the hell out of her and, and gave her this like uh you know forever lusting for him right yeah, before her wedding right and and even that that scene in the movie uh where they're you know having sex you know uh infidelity uh there was Ding. just just tons of uh BDSM we're going to get into that right now i guess uh feel the bondage sadomasochism uh, aspects of just their relationship in the in the common world, right? In our world, he right. was kind of this. You just kind of touched on it. He was always pushing the boundaries of sexual pleasure or pleasure for himself in 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 masochism or whatever it may be, right. uh, or how he treated women, how Julia was just an object, but a uh, an object that he wanted to dominate or whatever. And she was very wanted to be submissive and dominant, right? So you you see that right away, and that's why Frank and Julia, as we go into this movie, have this connection, this rare connection of just like she'll do anything for him, and you, we'll get into that, right, what she right. does. But uh, 
they had a special connection and and Larry, uh, her husband to be and husband in the movie, uh, kind of fell short in that category, I guess, for her pleasure. And, and, uh, she, she was always drawn to Frank. So right away, I don't know. Are, you have any more notes that you want to touch base on before we jump into opening scene or? No, I, I think again, like hedonism, I think is a good word for this. It's like, again, this, um, this prioritizing pleasure over everything else is kind of Frank's way of life. And I think, again, that's why he gets this box, this puzzle box, because this is supposed to, if he can open solve up the puzzle. Those, this puzzle, this box is supposed to open him to these whole other world this other, yeah, of this pleasure. Other dimension of, of pleasure that will be so great that, you know, it's, it's going to be uh, otherworldly, so to speak. Yeah, that, that, that salesman in Morocco could sell anything, right? Right. Ice to an Eskimo, whatever analogy or uh, whatever you want to use there, this guy could sell anything, and he sold it to Frank, this box, this puzzle box, of exactly what you just said, this this pleasure beyond anything you ever have seen or felt. Uh, and he was like, oh, that... That sounds awesome. Yeah, where do I sign up? So, he's quick, like, "Here's my pile of cash. Let me slide it across the table." Yeah, like, I, I, I can't get this box home soon enough to to unfold it or or solve it. Whatever. I'm surprised he took the time to light all those candles before he started to try to solve the puzzle. Yeah, jeez. Yeah, he, <laughs> unless he, that was like his his lighting source, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah, and it was his ritual or whatever it may be. Yeah. So. Let's get into it. Opening scene. You got this uh, salesman in Morocco uh, selling this puzzle box to Frank Cotton. Um, very pivotal character in the whole Hellraiser world. Um, right. He really is the catalyst to the what we'll get into the Cenobites of these creatures or what did your sign say? Demons to some. Angels to others. Angels yeah. to others. I mean, that that right there really explains what these people are all about, that we're going to take you to the outermost depths of your pleasure and pain, and we don't know the difference. We don't care about the difference. Right, right? because realistically, like, if I want that much pain because that's my pleasure, then these people are angels to me. But, yes, they may be demons to others oh, yeah. because so, they're causing pain that's, again, out of this world. <laughs> So I'm not going to, you know, I, I, I don't know what you do. At Lots the, of layers, right? I, so this movie is like an onion, right? And I think that's why they probably had to create the nine or ten sequels that they did because there's so much that you can do to get into the story. Where did Pinhead come from? Why are the Cenobites the way they are? And that's why this movie was actually pre- pretty phenomenal and, and unique to a whole different portal of horror, this genre of where we're going. And that's why we have to sit back as just being these movie lovers, the horror movie lovers, and watch it and go, all right, well, that was fucked to me, but to others, this is like, wow, uh, exploration into this whole other society and world it's it's well, very interesting and i think the other point of this and i i, I don't know if this like really sums up, sums up the show or not but i think it's like m- m- many of these movies that we we've done so far we've talked about we've watched at a much younger age right there are movies that we've seen you know a lot of these movies i saw as a, a preteen. And, you know, there wasn't the internet really around to go on and figure out, well, what did it mean when this thing happened? You weren't, like, going to YouTube video clips of the director talking about how they made this scene. So this is sort of, like, that piece of of just 
we're watching the movie and then we're talking about it, right? We don't know where every little bit and whatever came from. And I think it's important to say like, we're kind of coming from the layman's terms of horror fans. We're not saying like, this is a shot for shot representation of what happened in this film. It's more about like, what did we get out of it? What did it mean to us? And we have questions, right? So we're not yeah. coming to you as authorities and saying, this is what this meant. We're just like, we want to talk about what the fuck this meant to you. I want to know your thoughts, Jay, on like what, what a Cenobite is and I want to be able to talk about what my theories are. So like yeah, strap right. in. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. Yes. <laughs> All right. So opening scene sells the box. Frank takes it back to his home. He's got lights, the candles. Lights the candles. Solves the puzzle and we see like all these hooks start entering flesh. Yeah. Um, and then I, I think it goes immediately where all of a sudden Frank just gets ripped apart. All these hooks just like shred them basically like they're pulling pork yeah which was also on the menu today we had some pulled pork oh we did it was delicious um, which i'm surprised i could eat after watching frank's body get uh pulled like a pork butt yeah but yeah and so we sort of see and we talked about this before which is kind of funny is that frank solved the puzzle and opened up the world of the cenobites and this other you know worldly labyrinth um, from this box. Like Pandora's box. Like, Pan yeah. And then one of the Cenobites solves the puzzle of Frank's face by putting it back together. <laughs> yes. Yes. I'll hit on that again in a, in another segment here. But so yet you're already off and running and this movie is completely in a whole nother realm, literally. Yep. And uh, then it just quickly shifts. And this is where I'll, I'll step into another part of what I love about opening scenes to this beautiful spring day in Wait, where but, are we? London or yeah, like we're in think, New York? I'm not. We're, we're we're really not sure. We're thinking New York, right? But they keep saying Brooklyn. Like this is better than Brooklyn. It kind of there's a lot of UK accents in this, and I think the book was based in the UK, but it seems like they tried to go to America. There's a subway scene. Um, it's kind of a little bit fishy. Like this could be like upstate new york it could be um the uk we we don't know but it's looks like a gorgeous day could be pittsfield massachusetts who knows could be it probably is pittsfield massachusetts yeah, we don't know so, <laughs> so uh they go they go to this beautiful scene they're going into this house and it's julia and larry uh they seem like a very happyish couple and they're like going into this home uh where frank was there i guess and not there anymore or missing or whatever we yeah it they, was like they really don't know where frank it was is. the dead grandmother's home or yeah. something this beautiful like three level like victorian kind of deal and frank was kind of squatting there i think because yeah. he probably had keys and that's where he was deciding to like create his pleasure box was at at this home and like you were saying the the sort of contrast is that when frank opens the puzzle box it kind of brings them to this like dark room with all these chains hanging from the walls and there's body parts everywhere. And it's like this really fucked up, like consider it like if you're a stranger things fan from more recent times, it's like, this is like the other world, you know, yeah. this is the upside down, the upside down. And then when pinhead picks up the box and puts it back into its original state, then all goes right again, back to just this, this beautiful spring day, beautiful spring day. So that's why I'm like the opening scene goes from really dark to a light situation and that contrast is through and through of the movie. Yeah, because you kind of like you get a quick glimpse in what's capable of this box. Yeah, this box and then you get to see on top of that the normal world. 
and this like family who you know is going to be fucked because they're in this house and you know like something's happening something bad people. happened there and so then we get character development and we start to we yeah. start to meet meet the uh what's their last name again you Aries? just said it frank uh cotton, cotton. Yeah. we get to meet the cottons which uh, maybe that could be a sitcom i don't know <laughs> we could yeah what is uh wasn't um oh no cotton was his first name in scream right Right, yeah. Yeah, all right. So maybe maybe uh, Wes Craven kind of pulled that in. You know? <laughs> maybe you, a little you, bit. You never know. <laughs> you never know. But Cotton, yeah, that, that, that the last name Larry Cotton and his wife, Julia, move into the home. Then there's a stepdaughter, Kirsty. Yep, Kirsty right? is Larry's daughter. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, yeah, they're like, uh, you made a mention in our show notes, oh, yeah, well, and you'll you'll touch on it later. It's kind of a dump, and they're like, yep, let's move in. Yeah, it's sort of, um, I think Larry is, and what you get in the first scene is that Larry really wants to move into this place. He's yeah. got this great job. He's really psyched on it. It's better than Brooklyn. It's a, it's a new start for them. And she's very hesitant. Yeah. She's not super pumped on the place. But when she goes up and sees that Frank had been squatting there, all of a sudden her tune changes. Yeah. And you don't know why yet. She's looking through photos and the photos are basically Photographic. Frank- <laughs> yeah, f- Frank is just banging pornography, a bunch of broads, yeah, and uh, he got Polaroid. Polaroid p- pornography, and so is, she she's intrigued by this, and again, you don't know why, but then she comes downstairs and she changes her tune, and all of a sudden she's like, "Yes, yes, I'd love to live here." And then he says, "Well, move in on Monday or <laughs> Sunday." So there you go with our opening scene. Let's get to the drop when she gets real. You already touched base on this is when pretty much Frank opens the box right away in the first scene. Yep. And he gets ripped apart. And then they go into this other dimension and a Cinnabite starts kicking the face together and it's ripped apart in like four or five sections and they put the face together and it's Frank's face. Right. And I was right there. I mean, I don't know. You're more than, you're probably two minutes, three minutes into the movie and you're already like, all right, there's this crazy Cinnabite and we're in this really weird portal and Frank already got ripped apart. So I was just like, oh, we're off. You know, we're off. I already got to see everything I needed. Now I'm locked in and I'm already like, cringing but we don't get to see a cinnabite probably for another 40 minutes after that all right so just just so we're following uh what jay is saying is um these these creatures the cenobites you keep calling them cinnabites because i think that we both got hungry before oh. we were talking about this but the, the cenobites cenobites <laughs> Cinnabites. Uh, Cinnabites. Isn't that a cereal from like when we were kids? Cinnabites? I think so, which again, every time you say it, I'm getting a little Jeez. bit more hungry for them. Sorry, I apologize. I mean, I think that we probably could have made a cereal called Cenobites and would have been great. Um, not too late, right? Like people, like, you go in the box and there's a toy like, hey, I got a butterball today. <laughs> oh my God. But basically the, the Cenobites are, again, these sort of demons um, that are part of this other world and they are there to serve their leader who is, we we can assume is Pinhead, and we've got sort of the female Cenobite that's got this, like, she looks like a tackle box. She's got this massive, <laughs> like, uh, you know, wire coming out of her jaw, and but then you, yeah, you, her, with, neck, her neck is separated in a very, like, odd vaginal kind of way, I'll say. <laughs> I mean, I'm just going to call it out. Like, it looks like a nah, vagina you, on her throat. Yeah, yeah. You, um, you, you were saying that when we were watching. <laughs> like, I, look, I, vagina I, throat. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> or, is that her name or no no, it was just I, no female... I think it's just female Cenobite but yes yeah. there's definitely 
there's something we could give her a nickname. Everyone else has one. It's <laughs> it's vagina throat. <laughs> Yeah, we can call her vagina throat. So we may mention that again. Uh, then we've got sort of the um, the pudgy with glasses. Kind of looks like CeeLo Green a little bit. Butterball. Oh, yeah. Kind of gives me that vibe. Butterball. Wasn't he a boxer too? Wasn't butter yeah, bean. butter. Yeah, butter bean. Yeah, whatever. Um, probably enough. a similar knockout power, I will say. But yeah, it had the rolls on the neck. Very similar. I was like, Jesus, what did they just yeah, copy take, him? Take butter bean, throw some shades on him, and then some leather, and we've got butterball. 100%. That's what we got. Yep. Um, and then we've got the chatterer. Who is one? I think one of the best fucking makeups. Like, I think that is awesome. It's just this sort of like weird alien looking thing, like with like closed eyes, but this like really gummy smile, like extreme. Yeah. Like, if you've seen like a horse mouth, like that's this times 10. Um, chattering. Yeah, just constantly chattering. So, like, I don't know. I I used to own greyhounds, and they do that when they get excited. So I always thought like it kind of oh, reminded me man. of like a greyhound. <laughs> so um, little dog reference there for you. Yeah, a little trivia in that section where uh, because of all the makeup that they had to wear, the chatterer actually had dialogue in the movie, <laughs> but he couldn't f- talk. So they had to give all the lines to uh, the female Cenobite. Right, vag throat. Yeah, vag vag throat. <laughs> so. I always thought that was kind of funny where I was like, well, my brother said the same thing about the chattering one. Like he thought that was the creepiest one. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's terrifying. And the way he just awesome. chatters. Yeah. So when you'll see it, you'll be like, hey, it's more, it's to me when I'm watching it at 39, I'm like, yeah, it's comical. Like, but I was more impressed with the makeup and how they did it. And I'm like, wow, 87, you know, good for you guys. Like you, you really did, you know, that's where you spent all the money. Is, yeah. You can tell they spent all the money on the, uh, on the, uh, wardrobe. <laughs> Or yeah, lack they, thereof. They kind of remind me of like um, almost like Matrix type outfits. Like it's like these like black like dusters. Bondage. Yeah, bondagey. Huge bondage. Yeah, yeah. But th- gr- those those jackets flew off the shelves after this movie, man. Oh, definitely. Man, that was like you know just what you would see on a Friday night, man. Well, I mean, between like you know you could get the cloth version and you're like kind of the Judd Nelson from the Breakfast Club, or yeah. you get the leather version and you're a Cenobite, right? Yeah, so, correct. Um, but just wanted to mention again, we're gonna talk about Cenobites a lot. We're gonna get into them in a little bit, but that's kind of the basics of who these folks are. And again, they always appear when this puzzle is solved, and they're the ones there that are just hell bent, literally, on causing pain and torturing people. That's like that's what they get off on. Yeah. So, um, really important to know who they are. They don't make a lot of appearances in this film, unfortunately. Which is unfortunate, yeah. Because I think we talked about it that we know that a lot more films came out and that they play a much bigger role in these films. But certainly after you finally see them in the film, you're like, I want more of those. Like I want more Cenobites. And that made sense because I mean it did pretty good, right? Did you mention it was a one million Yeah, the, the, the budget bo- came in like a little bit under a million dollars, but came back with almost a fifteen million dollar gross. Yeah, I read somewhere in IMBD that it was almost twenty. So Great. It, it did all right. Thus let's make nine more. And let's really explore. And that's I think what they did. I don't know. I didn't see the others. Cause when you're left watch after watching this movie, in my mind, I was like, I want to know more about the backstory. I want to know more about right. this other dimension. Even though I'm not into any of that, I'm just saying it left a lot unsaid. All I'm fi- following is Frank, who to me has a fantastic backstory that I'd love to follow as well. So, yeah, because he, is he a soldier? Um, well, he's already like... 
kind of sadistic in his own right way that he's like he he had to go to these outreaching realms of to find pleasure and mixed with pain I yeah guess. if you're in morocco like spending for- spending hundreds of dollars on a box so that you can experience more pleasure then you're, you're probably like you're at a there. point where yeah. you've, you've kind of peaked it in your sexual life and you're gonna try to find something else you know so yeah um, i think at that point if he just kept do good for him that he found this outlet i think because if he didn't i think he would just be a serial killer and that you know right because that that's the only other route you go is yeah. like causing pain to others maybe bring Brings you enough pleasure, yeah, or I think that's kind of where he was going. So luckily, maybe maybe that's the uh, catch twenty two here. Maybe he, we're lucky he did find this box and yeah. torture himself rather than others. Maybe True. we're onto something here. But again, maybe if there weren't those type of people out there, the box wouldn't open up this portal that could potentially. Oh, cause and all as you carnage. go through the movie, you see that people that aren't supposed to open the box and open the box those people are not in a good place no definitely you're, not. you're, you're gonna just get tortured so i'll just say that the the drop for me as we're talking about it um is uh as they're moving into the place um first of all i don't know why they're throwing a bunch of beers at the mover saying like you know drink oh, up. that was so weird and then obviously they can't get a they can't get a freaking like you know twin mattress up the stairs and frank I'm sorry, Larry um, gets his hand caught on a nail, which is like a scene that I remember, like it's the one scene that stood out to me from when I watched it as a kid. I'm like, I, I th- when I would think about Hellraiser, I would think about the nail ripping his hand open. And I'm like, I don't know why that was like the scene that stood out to me. Oh, but the foreshadowing was like pretty thick. Right. Clive Barker was like, hey, everyone, look at this nail over here and look at his hand. Let's just spend five minutes on this. Yeah. What felt like five minutes. But anyway, he goes upstairs and obviously um, Julia is very interested and she's upstairs in the attic and she's trying to find more, I think, remnants of of Frank because she sees that he was squatting there. But um, he goes upstairs and he clearly has some issue with blood because he's like... Help me, I'm going to pass out. You know, it's like dry heaving up there. Um, but some of his blood... Or of his wet blanket yeah. <laughs> is coming through. And yeah, we'll like, get into that. So so his brother is like, uh, if I'm not bleeding, I'm not going to ejaculate, you know. And then we've got Larry who's like, oh, this blood, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, complete opposite brothers. Like, well, you know, Very, night, night and day. The which, yin and which yang. makes sense. I mean, they are night and day. Yeah, one definitely belongs in one portal and one definitely belongs in the other. Larry and Frank, right? They're, 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 Larry and are, Frank. Yeah, their mothers are proud, huh? Yeah. But the blood, anyway, the blood from his cut hand gets into the floorboards and you see it go underneath the floorboards and it starts reanimating, I guess, the remnants of Frank that are somehow um, had been ripped apart in the other world or still living in this world. He escaped. I mean, they kind of alluded to that right. later on, but you're right. In this scene, why is he there? It's one of those untold questions. Like it's a little weird, but yeah. I get it. They got to figure out some way to do yeah, it. Yeah, they got to figure out where he's gonna go and you know why, how he escaped. And he's like, like totally ripped apart. So. But that whole scene's pretty cool. Like where they show him coming out of the floorboards, the different bits of light coming in, and then him just like emerging like a weird spider or something yeah. out of the floorboards. Pretty cool scene. But he he's basically like this skinless like weak feeble man and um we will get into that in a minute but 
um, the drop again is we've now with this blood, we've reanimated Frank and he is in the attic. So shit just got real. Yes. Yeah. Frank is back. And, uh, you know, I, I was the scene right before when he got ripped apart. So we're kind of in the same. Frank really owns that section, <laughs> the drop. Like, you, yeah. And Frank really owns being the most uh, interesting character in a sense that. And he's out there, and you're following this guy's path, and 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 his family, and like I, you know, you mentioned it. I don't know if you did mention it, but you mentioned it to me in the pre-show notes. It, it, this is kind of a tale of two movies here, you know. Oh, totally, the family movie with Frank and Larry and Julia. We'll get into that, and then there's the the dark dimension, like a sci-fi type element. Super, it, yeah, super fantasy. It's like right. very. A fantastical type of movie, but the concept of and this is what we talked about before is the concept could have worked even if you didn't bring in the Cenobites to some degree. Like even if you didn't bring in that other Pandora's box, like the concept of the film is pretty great. It's this guy who needs to feed on blood to reanimate himself and sends out the woman that is you know in love with him to go bring home these. Um, these men lure them there through, you know, promises of sex and then killing them so he can feed on them. So like that could be a vampire movie. It could be a lot of different things and, and be a great film. Even if there's not this other, you know, uh, element of the sci-fi piece, but then you bring in the sci-fi piece and you've got bondage, sadomasochism and all these other things happening that I feel like it just opened up a different box so to speak for horror right well, and, and like we mentioned again and we'll, we'll touch base very quickly because clive barker uh also wrote and directed this movie like a lot of his movies so his his mind of kind of what he was going through we kind of did a little show notes beforehand and kind of learned a little bit more about clive barker's past so i guess he was into older women at times and then he, he was, was into yeah, very men young Yep. Yeah, and then he was into some, uh, you know, men for, it was almost like 16 years he was with somebody, right? Yeah, he dated this one guy for 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 quite a bit, um, but he also it also said that he was doing some prostitution um, as he wasn't making it. So he was sort of like in a little bit of this, of this world, I think, like, you know, like selling his body, things like that, so. Yeah, and I guess he takes a lot of that element, and you could see that there's a lot of, like, some Christianity in the movie where they kind of diss it in a sense. Right. And there's also this bondage BDSM world. Uh, he's, you know, he's a bisexual. He's trying to communicate through this film, through the his writing. Um, again, I'm just taking liberties of what I'm trying to say here. Right. Uh, but he, he has a very decorative past that he was able to put on paper to make this movie which just goes, he gets to just be free with his with his thoughts. Yeah, it's a great mind. Like, again, a great mind wrote this movie. Right. You know, and he had I, to take from all of his kind of experiences, experiences right. and dump it into this movie, which was very original to us, but also probably at the time, kind of everyone's kind of like maybe taken aback by it as well, right? We're, we're in 1987, you're still living in this world, not like 2021. Where this is kind of like, oh, this is this is normal, right? This is not, you know, or this is 
okay. Right. Um, back then, it wasn't. There was there there was maybe a little darkness to it, right? Um, so I just wanted to make sure we kind of touched base a little bit there to kind of say, yeah, Clive Barker is a very interesting mind, and that's yeah. Where and, this in came general, from. like you know, I think one thing about him is that he is. Uh, pretty critical of organized religion in general. And I think that a lot of the, again, Bible influences and... Uh, this whole genre was right. riddled with what you're what you're trying to say there. I mean, there was there's one scene that I, 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 I you know, again, I, I don't want to... There, there's a moment where Kirsty is hiding from the... I think it's from L- Frank, right? Because uh, he's trying to attack her. Uh, and she hides in a closet where a Jesus figure pops out and kind of does like a little fright scare. Like Carrie. Yeah, a little fright scare. Oh, yeah. But I was also like, my mind, I, you know, forgive me, uh, but it, Jesus in a closet? I don't know. Is that a, is that a little undertone there? Could be. So I, I, I thought I, I, that jumped out to me, not knowing his past until I had to do research after the movie. But I was like, oh, why is, you know, Jesus is in a closet. And, and one thing to note, too, is that he, um, so Clive Barker, um, he co-founded this, um, like, theater troupe um, that was back in, like, the late 70s. And I think he started working um, with Doug Bradley then, so probably made good friends. And it was kind of the perfect person to put in his film, you know, almost 10 years later. Um, so just want to call out that they were kind of like seemed like long term friends. Yeah. Um, so probably a, a, a great gig for Doug Bradley to then go on and do eight eight Hellraiser movies. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> he, he he and he crushed the character. I mean, he, he's Robert England. He's what he what Robert England is to Freddie. He you know, is Clyde. What's his name? Clyde. What? Barker. No, no, no. I'm sorry. The uh, Doug. Doug Bradley. Doug Bradley is is literally pinhead, right? Yep, so for sure. Um, let's go right into favorite death scene. Uh, <laughs> you want to start because yours is before mine. Yeah, so I'm gonna say that um, my f- my favorite death scene um, for a couple different reasons was the first um, sort of like thrill kill for Julia, where um, Frank uh, convinces her to go out and kill for him. Um, not kill necessarily kill for him, but but lure some bodies home so that he can f- feed on their blood. Um, and so she brings home this this dude who very comical in his hairstyle, but he's got like basically this completely bald head except for these little bangs in the front. So just want to call that out. Um, but she lures him up to the attic um, after being a little bit reticent, um, and then when he gets up there, she basically beats him in the face with a hammer. Um, but the makeup is great. Like you see his whole jaw kind of get shifted and his teeth are all fucked up. Yeah, and they up. show it pretty good. They so. did a good job. I think the makeup on that, again, for it's not a huge budget. Like they did a lot no. with that budget, I think, back then. Um, I mean, a million bucks is a lot of money. Let, let's, yeah, don't in get my mind, this should have won an Oscar for best makeup and wardrobe. Yeah, because they did a lot. The I mean, Cenobite makeup. Yeah. I mean, really how, interesting characters. To how did this on. movie didn't get nominated for that is beyond me. What was going on in 1987? The Fly? Is that is that around? Not even been earlier. Right. I'm just saying, like, how did this not be nominated? If, if maybe it was, I'm just yeah. Got, like, how did they I make Jeff it, Goldblum but, look so pretty in this film? Yeah, but <laughs> that's it, the best makeup I, job, right? And I, <laughs> and why is he so attractive looking? Yeah, um, he's a he's a hunk. 
<laughs> but it, it, it this this movie Head and Shoulders is is literally best makeup and artist. I mean, best makeup and wardrobe. I agree. I, super creative, innovative. Well, let's go back into our time machine and nominate this because it should be right. Let's give kudos to the 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 leather the leather outfits and the uh, makeup artists. Like, great. Yeah, you really you really showed like some craziness in 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 this horror. This other world. Yeah. But anyway, she beats the fuck out of him with a hammer. And <laughs> what I thought was really cool about um, this death is that when it shows his body after, he's got this really twisted face. It kind of is reminiscent um, of when they did uh, the ring and the sort of like scared faces of the people that died from the ring. And they got these like big yeah. twisty jaws or even like the ghost face mask of this like big wide open mouth like almost like this horror, you know, like they were, they were scared, stupid, almost that kind of that vibe. So, um, I thought the, the, his, um, corpse stuck in that state in his, with his face, um, was just, uh, it was a great makeup. And I think it probably influenced a lot of, um, horror going forward. So that's what I got for the death. All right. So my favorite death scene, I think comes like an hour and 22 minutes in. It's when, Frank with the bodysuit of Larry. Right, the, the suit of skin. Yeah, is literally uh, this, the Cenobites, right? Right. Am I saying that right? Jeez, <laughs> I got to slow that down. Cenobites. The Cenobites, <laughs> Cenobites. Uh, arrive back at the house. They confront Frank, who's dressed up as Larry, and then the chains come out and start ripping him apart. Uh, again, or, or ripping into his flesh and start pulling him apart, kind of like a gimp or whatever, yep. like that that type uh, of pleasure of pain or whatever you, Frank wants, and that's right. kind of what they're giving him. And Kirsty opens the door and sees this happening, and then he says the line in in my mind: "Jesus wept." And Andrew Robinson, who played Larry, convinced Clive Barker to change fuck you to Jesus wept. So to me, it is a pretty much a fuck you to, right. to Christianity. I mean, sure. which is which is uh, a scene to me because I am a Christian and I saw it and when he when that when they said those words together in that type of scene, it hit me in a weird spot. It's to go, weird. What? Like, I had to, like, look that, like, what did that mean? What does it mean? Right. Right. Like, it seems terrible. <laughs> and and I, and I think that was the point, right? That was, that they literally delivered it to perfection. Yeah, it's almost like they're talking about the trials and tribulations, at least of, like, you know, the, the story of Jesus and the torture piece of it. And that, it, to me, it's sort of like he's enduring this, horrific terrible pain and he's sort of saying like jesus was a pussy right i mean is that yeah is that sort of kind of like what the connotation is it's kind of like well if you're replacing fuck you with that it's it's very the connotations right there right right in in a sense that that's why i'm like what and it wasn't until i did the trivia notes to kind of find out that andrew robinson said hey let's switch this up a little bit and i think that delivery was like but brilliant brilliant it it really is. It's it's a good. In a sense, it really hits you in a weird place. Like you just sit there and be like, you sink into your couch. Like I, I just go, <laughs> whoa. Yeah, I. Uh, so quick, funny thing is, um, 
after watching that again, you know, so I, I rewatched this film like maybe a year and a half a ago or times. something. <laughs> but I watched, I rewatched it uh, for the first time in a long time, like maybe a year, year and a half ago. But I remember um, the the that scene, and I asked my fiance, I'm like, all right, let's say you're strung up on this device and your your flesh is being ripped apart and it's the moment that you're going to die. What's your final line? And she's like, I don't know, fuck you. And I'm like, okay, check this out. And I played her the end of Hellraiser and she's like, what the fuck? You know, it's like super weird. And I, maybe that was the, the effect of it. And it, it, it does like, it's so creepy and weird and confusing that... Again, when you watch this for the first time, if you're the if you're an OG horror fan, let's say you saw this in '87, yeah. like you didn't know what the fuck that meant, right? Like we we had to look it up to kind of find yeah. out what the like context. You mentioned was. it earlier. Thank you, Internet, because I don't know what I would be thinking in 1987 about any of this movie. I'd be like, unfortunately, the internet helped this movie because there's people that. Did a ton of research on it, right? Which and you you hit on that already. It almost comes off as a question, though. I will say, is that the delivery of this? He says, "Jesus wept," <laughs> right? Yeah, was there Could a, we question, a question on there? He went up a little bit, like he was uh, <laughs> answering Maybe. a question um, for like Miss America or something. Um, if all the kids have meals, then they won't be hungry. Yeah, <laughs> like is that a question? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> All right, let's get into the next. Well, that was dumb. Uh, I'm just going to go out there. When Julia was bringing these guys home, infidelity, and let's go up to the attic. I don't know if you're going to go through that whole process. Backseat of a car probably sounds just fine. I don't need to go all the way to somebody's house in a creepy attic. In a creepy attic. Because even they are questioning it when they get there. Like, hey, are are we in a safe spot? Like, is is anybody going to... Are we going to bone, right? Yeah, is anybody going to catch us here? So I was like, ah, well, that's kind of dumb. Like, just don't follow somebody up to your attic, you know. And you you have that much trust that your husband's not going to come home? Right. Or your stepdaughter or... Yeah. The mailman. I mean, I, it just seems weird. Like that's yes. that's where they would do that. Like she couldn't take them to a back alley, slice their throat. And and nobody's out on the street seeing some rando go into this house with this woman, and there's no suspicion by the police. Like I don't know how many guys got murdered. Three. And so again, you're the whole time. Larry's at work, right? So this is happening during the day. So who the fuck is in a, a business suit drinking at a bar like in the middle of the day? I mean, I guess it's the '80s, so that's what people did. Um, but it just seems like an odd, like this is what noon that she's going out and picking up these dudes. Maybe they're on their lunch break, taking a couple shots of bourbon. And that's, that's what they alluded to. The first, the first victim was kind of like, Hey, are you here on travel like me? And you could tell it was like a random noon. She's like, Hey, want to come to my place? And we're off, you know, like she's murdering the guy. Um, the other part is, uh, you know, well, well, that was dumb. Is is not really well. That was dumb, but it's, it's something I definitely want to jump on as far as like unintentional comedy or whatever. I I got a giggled about is how Julia really was like um, channeling David Bowie. Oh yeah. Every death, she just kept getting more makeup. Literally, like what's that album when he's dressed up like uh, Ziggy Stardust? Uh, yeah, that's that's <laughs> the one. So it's literally. Ziggy Stardust, Julia's really channeling that 
throughout the whole movie as the movie keeps. Yeah, she's got kind of like red Bowie kind of hair. She's got yeah, she's like slicking it back, that like, mullet kind of look. With it's the, kind of a popular look now. I think a lot of the yeah, a lot of, a lot of people are putting that putting that haircut back on, but they're really shaving the sides and yeah, yeah. It's kind of like a, a new age mullet, but uh, yeah, it's like had, a mohawk mullet kind of combo. Yeah, and tons of makeup that sh- uh, the eyeshadow bright colors red orange or whatever i don't know i just once i saw in the way she was dressed in the puffy blouses i'm like i'm pretty sure she loves david bowie here she definitely loves david bowie I don't, it's not really it doesn't fit well, well that was dumb i think it's brilliant <laughs> <laughs> yep david bowie you know like let's 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 look like that guy all right so anyway uh anymore well that was dumb um, I was kind of confused when they first go to the house and they're trying to get in and, um, it's like, it looks like a beautiful spring day. They're wearing like blazers and she says, hurry up and open the door. I'm going to freeze to death out here. I was thinking, um, okay. I mean, I guess maybe it's that cold, but I don't know. Like you're going to freeze to death. That seems a little bit yeah. extreme. Um, chill out, Julia. We already mentioned you before. You have already an ice cold heart. So. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we already mentioned before. Or maybe she's like, hurry up, get in there. I want to see if Frank's in there. <laughs> yeah. I want a bone. Because we haven't mentioned that. I don't think we actually talked about this directly yet, but Julia has an affair with Frank before the wedding with Larry. Yeah. And then Frank disappears. So, like, he's sort of like, he gives her like the dickin of a lifetime or something yes. because she is just hung up on him hardcore through the entire movie because he's given her a piece of hit, a slice of his life yeah. that she's never had before. The, she's the, like, she's with Larry. Who's like, I keep my crew socks on while we make love. Yep. And she went to Frank Ooh, and Frank pulls like, out a switchblade. Yeah. Frank's got a switchblade and he's like, fucking real hair. Yeah, you know? let, like, let me in your house. I'm wet. I need a towel. And then I'm gonna Come bang you, on you. And he bangs her on the wedding on her wedding dress. Yeah. So oh, that to that's dumb. Is like you don't want to wrinkle that thing. Come on. Oh no, yeah. At least move it to the side. Be, be a little bit nice to the to your yeah, soon to be husband. Easy with a knife, there, Frank. Don't cut the dress. <laughs> exactly. Um, but uh, the house that they go to move into again is a wreck. It's like disgusting. But they want to move in in like two Baggots, days. It's rats everywhere. Yeah, so uh, kind of weird. Um. And then I'll just say, you know, again, I'm not trying to diss the movie in any way, but I kind of thought the the weird, like, homeless, bearded character sequences were kind of weird and out of place and didn't really do anything for me. The Aaron Rodgers? Yeah, Aaron Rodgers, That's Rob who, Zombie lookalike, yeah. um, who's homeless and just... Uh, He's kind of there. He's eating crickets in a in a pet store that um, uh, Kirsty works at, and then he's like in a random. Where Gizmo hallway. was probably sold. Yeah, exactly. Def- Gizmo was definitely sold there. Yeah, uh, I was like, that looks like where Gizmo was purchased once. You know, <laughs> like. But I just and then he, him at the end, uh, we'll say it like he turns into like a fucking uh, phoenix or something, rising out of the ashes after he reclaims the box and brings it back to Morocco. Um, but I don't. What, was no, the, you 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 didn't say it was a phoenix. What did you call him in the pre-show notes? What'd you call? Oh, him? you said you thought he looked more like a gargoyle. Gargoyle. That yeah. <laughs> yes, he does look like a gargoyle. And I got a question for you because every time I think of a gargoyle, I think of this. But do you know that people in public restrooms often 
like gargoyle perch on a toilet? <laughs> Not aware of that. <laughs> okay, so. I have a friend, or I guess he's probably not going to be friends after I talk about nah, his secret. definitely not. Jesus. But he said that he will perch, like he'll stand on the, like you lift up the seat, you stand on the bowl, and you crouch down similar to that of a gargoyle, and you do your business that way. Where do your hands go? On the walls? Sure, yeah, you balance yourself on the wall that way. Or maybe you put them on your, I mean, I guess you rest them on your knees, but I don't know, it's like... <laughs> That's a very limber person here. Yeah, you're, you're creating like the most extreme squatty potty of all time, um, <laughs> but very bizarre. I mean, that might belong in the, in the upside down. <laughs> that, yeah. whole, that whole world was beyond me. But I did hear a funny story that one time the bathroom lock was not working properly and somebody opened the door on him because they couldn't see feet on the ground, obviously. And that gets us to our next mate. Well, the, uh, <laughs> they ain't never going to be right. Uh, that guy walking in on somebody gargoyling. Gar- what, what do you call it? Okay. Like, gargoyling a toilet? I'm going to call it gargoyling. I don't know. I don't, oh I don't know God. if there's an f- official name for it, but that's what it reminds me of. It's like you know, you're perched on a building like that, looking over it. <laughs> I think they're our candidate, even though he's not in the movie. That <laughs> The guy that walked in on my friend gargoyling on a toilet, that must have been the weirdest eye contact of all time <laughs> to walk in and see someone hunched over uh, like didn't that. Didn't even know that was a thing. <laughs> but I'm just trying to think of the uh, the dynamics of it, and it's just kind of mind boggling. Very similar to the, uh, the 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 realm of where Frank goes. Yes, I guess. This if, we, is... if we want to tie it, let's just try to loop it back to the movie. Pushing here. that door open was like opening in the, the world <laughs> of the Cenobites. <laughs> Pleasure and, or pain, I don't know. <laughs> and also, I think part of the issue with this emergency bathroom trip was because of too many Cenobites. Just saying. <laughs> oh, I'm not sure. Here we go, man. We're just, we're just <laughs> linking like this all together That could have been a problem. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> For sure. So we didn't get into that, uh, but uh, they ain't never going to be right. I mean, hundred percent. It's Kirsty. Kirsty. All right. I mean, she, her, her dad's dead. Her stepmother is also dead. Her uncle tried to kill her. She goes into the realm and sees all the Cenobites. She was chased by what they called what the engineer, yeah, which is basically this big like krang looking double-headed yeah. dildo thing i don't know like <laughs> just <laughs> yeah what, what was that <laughs> it was a very bizarre looking thing but it was again it was like very like bdsm to me this whole figure yeah but chases her down the hallway um when she's in the hospital and then she gets away from it but that thing was really fucking creepy so even at that scene she ain't never gonna be right but yeah then she actually she meets. gets to go to both worlds, meets all the Cenobites, actually has conversation with them, and pretty much rats out Frank and where he is and how to get back to him. Yeah, where's the loyalty in this movie? So we've there, got yeah, there is none. Yeah, we, we we've got Julia who's cheating on Larry every chance she gets with her his brother. So we got like a Jerry Springer vibe going on here, and then fidelity, loyalty. I don't know. You're getting into a lot mur- of these murdering themes. people. She, yeah, you're she's death. Yeah. I mean, this is, yeah, and you mentioned it. I mean, you can tell a lot of these scenes are kind of like uh, Bi- Bible esque or, you know, like biblical in a sense that these are all important themes to have in your moral life. And this movie is completely all the opposite the of it. And and world gets turned upside down. So it's, it's like, yeah, again, like, I hate to say it, be a good person and maybe. None of this <laughs> shit happens. I don't know. Maybe maybe you get saved. Yeah, the Cenobites are like, 
we're going to take you to our world now and we're going to torture you basically. And she's like, um, actually my uncle Frank escaped. I know where he is. (laughs) So you guys are probably not that great at what you do. Uh, my uncle's a lawyer and he's going to sue you. <laughs> like, you know, she kind of has this, like, she sells her uncle out in 10 seconds. And yeah, I know, no t- again. Oh, I would too. Look at uncle's a little bit creepy. Guys, yeah. He's like all, yeah, he's a, he's a weird. I don't gummy. blame her. I would try to get out of there as quickly as I could too. Yeah, he looks but like But, you know, I'll be honest. I couldn't solve that puzzle anyway. Well, I'll just throw it out there. I don't think I'm ever getting through that. What What is it called? The laminate, laminate uh, configuration? The lament configuration. Yeah, yeah, I would never be able to get through that. that puzzle. To, me, of, it, to uh, me, it's just uh, like, hey, uh, Rubik's Cube, we're just going to make something completely fucked. I mean- Hasbro, do you want to sell this? No? All right, we'll, we'll, we'll go to Morocco. I'm just going to call it out two people- in the film, touch the box and solve it. So how fucking hard is this a cube? I'm just going to say it. Like, I come guess on. Not. Like, maybe we couldn't do it, but the fact that Kirsty and Frank- The Cotton family can, I guess. The, the, I don't know what they're doing. They're like, they're they're throwing it around. Like, they're, I, 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 I don't know what they're doing, but yeah. they, they both figure it out in a very short period of time. Yeah, I, like I said, they, 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 they might have been very good at the Rubik's Cube. So if you were, were you ever good at that? No. Yeah, good. So you'd be- You'd suck at this, so you'd be all right. <laughs> I think you'd be okay there, uh, Eric. So, I would never uh, meet a Cenobite. Yeah, so what would you do? Uh, me, like, kind of, we're hitting on it right now. Stop solving puzzles from Morocco or any other country. Yeah. I'm just going to stick to the uh, the Rubik's Cube. Yeah, I- I'm going to find, I mean, I guess, like, it sounds intriguing. And I'll just say, like, I had an idea of maybe making a fan film crossover, um, where we combine two of Clive Barker's uh, kind of twisted films, uh, Hellraiser and Candyman, and it's about a man who fucks a beehive. <laughs> wow, dude. You're getting... It's getting dark, but th- I think it could make a good film. Like, what other, what better way? It's to like do an it? homage to Clive Barker. <laughs> We're just going to combine Candyman and uh, Hellraiser and just make somebody fuck a beehive. And see what happens. <laughs> we're, anyone, and we're wants to make, anyone wants to make that film, shoot us an email. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're we're open for business over here. Uh, alternate ending. I think we already kind of will be very quick with here because there were so many movies. It's kind of hard. Um, I think we just kind of agreed that the whole gargoyle scene or that phoenix, that guy taking the box out of the fire, turning into this skeleton gargoyle and flying away to bring the box back to Morocco to be resold again as like a groundhog day you mentioned. Uh let's just get rid of that. Let's just let's just let the box be in New York or wherever the hell they're at and somebody else picks it up and we're off to Yeah, like the I, I think one, the homeless person episode. picking it up makes sense. Like let's say it's the next day he picks it up thinking it might be worth something. He doesn't have to turn it into this mythical creature. Right. He brings off. it he brings it to a pawn shop or something and then we we start the next thing where someone some rando is in, intrigued by it and unlocks it and Yeah, then, like the leprechaun, isn't that how he kind of kept getting passed around? Pawn shops, <laughs> isn't that? Um, not the original, but probably later on. Yeah, later on, like the third or fourth, I think he was at a pawn shop and somebody like bought it. And yeah, they boom. locked him in a, in the first one. They locked him in a box with a four leaf clover on top, and that's how he. Yeah, that's how they kept yeah, him. Leprechaun. At bay. When are we going to do the leprechaun? March. <laughs> oh, for St. Patty's, Patty's Day. <laughs> yeah. All right. No. Fine. <laughs> so sounds about right. Anyway, um, soundtrack. 
Uh, so soundtrack, music by Christopher Young. Um, I, I dug it because I thought the good theme throughout with a lot of the music is that it sounded very music boxy to me. So I had like that sort of like um, rotary, um, like high pitched uh, piano kind of thing where, yeah, it sounded like a music box. It played well with the fact that, that there was other puzzle box and then it had these kind of darker looming kind of, you know, notes and sounds underneath that. Um, but it nothing really stood out. Like if you played that for me, like on a Spotify playlist right now, I wouldn't be like, oh, that's Hellraiser. You know, so I don't think it's like super memorable, but I thought that it tied into the movie well enough. There weren't any actual tracks in this film. Um, I know we talked about earlier that there was a plan for this really sort of like, um, what was it like uh, hard hitting band or whatever to go in and uh, and cr- create the soundtrack for them that probably would have played really oh, yeah. well with the Coil? movie. Coil, yeah. yeah. So again, like you're talking about BDSM, you're talking about like now if you made that film, it would have tons of new metal and like it, it would just have this more dark, ominous kind of music to it. And I feel like oh, it would have been great if they could have like done something like that in this film to really add to some of those scenes. But I also understand where, again, in a first film and budgetary reasons and maybe just so it's not um, too like commercialized in a way that you find someone to just create a score. That's, yeah, it was just a house band. Is what you're not, yeah, you're not focusing on the music as much as the film. The music is there to just enhance it. Yeah, I'm, and... Uh... You, you when you were mentioning about Coil, how Clive Barker was like enamored by them and how yeah. how seedy they were. Sure. It, if it scare if they if they created an element with Clive Barker to give him the the the, the heebie-jeebies, the yeah, the crawling skin. <laughs> could you imagine what overtones that would be in this fucking film? It would be I, now. I want to know more about this band, the Coil. Like, who who are they? Let's let's learn more about them. I'm gonna make a playlist. Here we go. Like you're <laughs> off. That's that's your. That's I better cool. shit my pants. Like within the first like five minutes of their catalog. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, we'll be let down. Yeah, I'm sure we will. I mean, if Clive Bark, like I said, if I'm gonna put in a diaper just when I put on their. Yeah. I'll put some headphones on and we'll go. You know, we'll we'll really go to town on this. Well, there's your homework, Eric. You listen to the coil and you let me know how you shit. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> uh, but hey, that's the end of our show here today. Uh, right. You got anything else, or you want to touch on anything else? Um, just we just for rating on the soundtrack, I'll give it a six. Six. I'm um, right there with you. Six or six, maybe even a seven, just because you know, like I, I like the tones of a music box. It makes sense. Cool. And and yeah. And most of the other score and sounds, the ambient noises, all tied well. Just it needed a little. It needed some heavy guitar somewhere in there to really lift it, even if it's just the outro something like it just needed something a little bit heavy to tie more in with the the film itself I think. yeah and even though they made nine more movies of this the first thing i said to him and i know maybe a lot of horror people are going to yell at me right now but whatever this would be a great movie to remake uh i'm gonna yeah. throw it out there they they remake everything else let's do this maybe they did in one of the other genres of nine films they did they kind of did a you know a catch-up they did one very recently, 2018, I saw. But I think if we went with a remake, it would be pretty interesting. Of the original, not, let's not remake, you know, if you want to do the whole concept 
over again in one movie. I think that's too much. And hear me out while I love Doug Bradley. What do you think about J.K. Simmons as a Pinhead? Oh, 100%. In his like Whiplash character? <laughs> he probably channeled that. <laughs> oh, I mean, my goodness. He yeah, just has that vibe. I think yes. he'd, be, he'd be great. I think you're onto something. Let's, let's, let's get J.K. Simmons... As Pinhead, and let's go with a a, a reboot. I mean, and Sarah Jessica the, Parker as a chatterer. Oh my god! Burn, <laughs> sick burn. Uh, I think I think that would be cool. I mean, maybe people are gonna th- throw you know negative remarks at our at our Instagram. Yeah, you could probably get but, sponsored by like Home Depot or something with Pinhead's costume. So yeah, and the hammer scenes killing people. Yeah, I, th- I feel like you can make the money easy. So. uh but anyway, we are now ending it here, but next week we're going to do, you, you started writing down a list. I think we're going to follow a, an 80s theme for September. So I think we're trying to choose between. I think next week we're either going to do uh, The Thing. I think I like that. Probably going to do The Thing. Yep. Um, we've also got a couple others that we may look at. Return of the Living Dead yes. is a great option. Evil Dead. Yep. And perhaps the horror action thriller predator predator yeah a little 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 off the beaten path there uh, you know i like to throw that in a horror movie genre because of the alien the sci-fi there are great deaths i mean it really follows the synopsis of our or our not synopsis but the 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 way our show goes that right. i'm like it would work it would work because there's tons of great funny scenes and uh, all sorts of male macho overtones. And, <laughs> yep. Uh, it would be it would be a really fun one to do, and that's why we want to throw it in there. We might do that at a later date, but who knows? Maybe we get bored. And we want to watch it. It's a great movie. I watch that anytime. So I'm game, and uh, yeah. So that's it, man. Sounds good. Let's hell raise out of here and peace out. Catch y'all next week. Later. Later.